Aqualads and Aqualasses, welcome back to Reading Cambo, where we continue our journey into darkness by taking a look at Journey into Darkness. Oh, Brand Synergy, I do love ya. Now, today's episode is going to cover Chapter 2. Let's get just a little bit of a recap. So far, the Callaway family from Marva, Texas, has been beset with... Oh, what is it when something bad happens? Tragedy. There you go. Beset with tragedy. When their funeral parlor slash home burned to the ground in, uh, in the prologue. We also learned that Glenn has a debilitating disease. Well, it's not debilitating, I guess, because he can still function. But a disease called, oh, what's it called? Hassan Syndrome. Named after famous WWE superstar Muhammad Hassan. Where Glenn cannot feel pain. And that's why his mama and his dada didn't allow him to play sports or beat up other kids for fear that he wouldn't know how much damage he was doing to his own body. Now in chapter one, Glenn had numerous dream sequences, more than the endings of Wayne's World when they decide what type of ending to have. Like lots of dream sequences, he dreamed that his little brother, or excuse me, his older brother Mark was still alive. He remembered a time he caught his mama talking to the gentleman who was the embalmer that worked at the funeral parlor, a short, fat man named Paul Grimm. Keep that one in your back pocket. I believe we also learned about the Kane family curse, Is it po- which is uh, the maiden name of Glenn and Mark's mama. Susanna Kane was her name-o. And I believe that should do it. I don't think we met... Or we did perhaps briefly meet a nice nurse, but we'll get into all that now. So, without further ado, let's do chapter two. Chapter two. Glenn blinked and opened his eyes. It was dark. Nighttime. He was in bed. Quiet, studio audience. Not his bed. Somewhere else. A hospital. There were half a dozen machines at his side. Machines! Said Morpheus. Blinking, flashing lights, too numerous to count or decipher their meaning. He tried to sit up and couldn't. His arms and legs were restrained, held in place at his sides by strong-looking straps. Kind of sounds like a typical Johnny C. Saturday night. There were tubes, too. Oh, now, now we're on Sunday running in and out of his body all over the place. His throat was as dry as the desert, and he had a horrible taste in his mouth. And worst of all, he was all alone. Not just tonight, but forever. For the rest of his life. (laughs) Somebody get this kid some Prozac. His parents, his brother, they were gone. Dead. 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 All dead. The curse. His mom had been right, after all. He blinked again and tried not to cry. For days, the story of the fire was repeated before him as he rested in his hospital bed, becoming part of his history, like the oxygen mask over his face and the antibiotic tubes hooked into his veins, like the lights that were shined into his eyes to see if his vision was damaged. They were sad eyes now, and every time someone would approach the room to visit, they would immediately shut. The nurses and doctors were always poking and prodding, and Glenn hoped that maybe, if he kept his eyes closed, they would just go away. His room was usually bathed in silence, 
the quiet broken only by a nurse or doctor making rounds checking in on him, on the machines attached to his body as well. Glenn was covered in gauze and pads, even more than usual. He felt completely shut off from the outside world, as if what was real, what was important, what were the things happening in his mind. His memories of the life he used to have. A week or so into his stay, they moved him from the intensive care ward into the children's wing. A private room, but it didn't take long before the other kids started peering in on him, before they started tiptoeing in his room and he pretended to sleep. My name is Buck, and I like to fuck, one said as they entered his room. Oh wait, no, I'm so sorry, fans, wrong book. He don't look dead, one said. But he was. I heard the doctors talking about it. They said when they found him, he was dead, another said. So how come he's alive now? The first asked. Well, that's the question, ain't it? Hey, you! Whoever it was at his side nudged Glenn. Strange that Glenn can feel that, even though he can't feel things. Interesting, because his eyes are closed, remember? (laughs) Glenn didn't respond. He was wondering the same thing. Why was he alive? What was the point of it, anyway? Hey, you! You dead or what? The kid nudged him again. Harder. Hard enough that Glenn moved. All at once, there was a buzzing sound, and then one of the machines next to him went off like an alarm clock. Oh, I know what that sounds like. Do, 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 Run! The kids yelled. Glenn opened his eyes just in time to see them disappear out the door and a nurse come in. He closed his eyes quickly before she could see he was awake. The days turned into weeks. They loosened the restraints on his arms and legs. Soon, Glenn was masturbating furiously. He got solid food. He was able to sit up in bed and start to walk. The kids in the ward started coming around more often. They tried to make friends at first, but he didn't want friends, even though he wanted them desperately in chapter one. Then the doctors took the bandages off his face, and the kids stopped being nice to him. The doctors had done their best, but you see the tools that they have to work with. Glenn said, Mirror. The doctor did nothing. Glenn yelled again, The Mirror! The doctors had done their best. They'd managed to reconstruct everything that had been scarred or deformed by the flames, conveniently. But his skin was discolored, a big blotch of reddish-purple on the right side of his cheek, another on his forehead. He was too sad to even cry the first time he saw himself in the mirror. He didn't know what to do. The other kids did. They started calling him names. Freak! Lobster Boy. The Mummy. The Mummy Returns. The Mummy. Tomb of the Dragon King. The Scorpion King. The Scorpion King 2. The Scorpion King 3, the sequel. The comments got crueler and crueler, probably because he didn't respond to any of them. They were testing him. I guess you could say, this, this is a test, 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 this was a test. Bring it on, bring it, bring it, bring it on, pea soup. When one boy said that Glenn was such a freak, he'd probably lit the fire himself. They found his limits. He drew his fist back without thinking. For once, no fatten, son, no, son, I said no fatten, and hit the kid square in the mouth. There was blood 
right away. There was a lot of yelling later. Grown-ups yelling at each other. Parents cursing out nurses. Nurses cursing right back. Avada Kedavra! Expelliarmus! Were some of the curses that, that Glenn heard. Nobody was happy, especially Glenn's doctors. He'd torn the skin grafts yet again. This kid's going to end up looking like Dark Man. The next day, they moved Glenn from the children's wing into one of the main wards at Arkham Asylum. That night, Tweedledee and Tweedledum had their way with him. It was only later that the Mad Hatter would come and claim him as a fish of his own. That night, he started getting phone calls. At first, he didn't answer. Let it ring five, six, seven, eight times. Well, why not just add nine, ten there, author, as well? Let's see how it works. Let it ring five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty times, however long it took for the caller to hang up. Glenn didn't want to talk to anyone, but whoever was calling, it turned out, sure wanted to talk to him. The phone rang every hour, almost on the hour. Starting at 10 a.m. Well, Glenn, maybe it was a wacky morning radio DJ. We're hitting you on the hour every hour, Glenn, until you talk to us. Are you fucked up? Did you get any Prozac? We'll keep checking in every hour on the 10s. This is Johnny C for WDIK on the radio. Radio edit. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the third day of those calls, Glenn finally answered. Well, sure, it's a fucking specific note there, Glenn. Hello, he said. He heard breathing on the line and a thwopping noise that went like this. <laughs> Suddenly, a voice, uh, and then it hung up. Then he answered another call. Hello, he said. He heard breathing on the line. A man's breathing, it sounded like. He couldn't be sure. Wow, Glenn, where is stereotype people? More breathing. Then all at once, the caller hung up. That was weird, Glenn thought, staring at the phone in his hand. They hung up as soon as they heard my voice. Well, Glenn, I mean, you got a freaky voice. Like they were just testing to see if I was here, if I was alive. He was pondering what that could mean when someone rapped on his chamber door, and it swung partway open. Hello, are you Glenn Calloway? Yeah, all the women are going to sound like they're from England, folks, because that's the only way I can do a female voice. Deal with it. That someone was a woman with big blonde hair, an even bigger smile, and easily a a full C. She was, he realized, the first person he'd seen in a while who hadn't reacted to his appearance by looking away, even if only for a second. Despite that, Glenn wasn't going to answer her. He hadn't spoken to anyone in the hospital in a few days, but there was something about her smile and the clearly visible black brassiere underneath her nurse's uniform. He thought, well, it could happen. She reminded him, he realized, of his mother. Oh, Jesus! (laughs) All that shit that all the... Well, you know what? We're going to go with it. Just a little bit, she did. Yeah, I'm Glenn. I'm Melissa Vick, Glenn. The smile got bigger still, as did the bosoms. May I come in? He shrugged. Okay. She shut the door behind her. Who was that on the phone? He realized he was still holding the receiver in his hand. Thanks for calling the WWF Superstar line, the phone said. For our lower information, press number nine. To hear from the winners here at In Your House, press two. 
I, I don't know. I wasn't talking to nobody, I guess. Uh, they hung up as soon as I answered. Huh. You don't say. Why would they do that? The woman was carrying a thick file folder in her arms. Glenn saw his name printed on the outside of it. I don't know. Well, let me know if it happens again. You certainly don't need anyone bothering you right now, do you? No, I guess not. She brought a chair up close to the bed now and sat down next to him. Glenn immediately got hard and his heart started thumping faster than ever before. So, she said, opening the folder in her lap, you feeling better these days, Glenny Poo? I guess, he frowned. Are you a nurse or something? No, sweetie, I'm not a nurse. I'm a social worker. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that I'm going to be here to look out for you, to help you. Help me do what? You gonna make me a man? You gonna make me famous? Oh dear, I'm not Maven. I can't make you famous. She closed the folder and laid her hands on top of it. I'm going to help you, dear, with what happened. With the accident, she said softly. Help you move forward with your life. He didn't know what to say to that. Move forward? (laughs) Move forward to what? Of course, we don't have to talk about any of this right now. I just wanted to meet you. Now that the doctors say you're... What's there to talk about? He interrupted. Everybody's dead, aren't they? Her eyes widened slightly. She took a minute before responding. Not everyone, Glenn. You're here. For some reason, he was angry. Yeah, BFD. Glenn, that's not called for. She put on a disapproving expression that reminded him of his mom even more. For some reason... It made Glenn even hornier. The way she looked at him or his brother when they misbehaved or talked out of turn or was disrespectful and thinking of his mom, all the anger all at once just sapped right out of him. He sighed. I'm sorry, he said. I understand. She tried smiling again. This time, he saw sadness behind her expression. Well, We have some time to think about things. Talk over your options. The doctor said it will be a few more weeks before you can leave. She leaned over and touched his arm lightly. Are you in a lot of pain, honey? No. Glenn shook his head. I don't feel a thing. Out in the hall, Melissa Vick brushed the tears from her eyes. The whole situation was so sad. No, it was beyond sad. It was tragic. The fire had taken everything from the boy. He was truly all alone in the world. There were no relatives at all on his mother's side, and only a great-aunt on his father's. Ninety-two years old, and in a nursing home. She was going to have to find this boy a whole new family. Not for the first time, Melissa thanked God for the fortune he'd brought her way. Her own family. Her husband, Jarvis. (laughs) Really? Her daughter, Katie. Her mother, back in Kansas City. Why, if she lost any of them, she had no idea what she would ever do. You hear that, Glenn? She couldn't imagine how Glenn felt. Down the hall, the nurses were changing shifts. Melissa saw one she knew, Beverly Cutler, who went to Church of the Redeemer on King Street with her and caught the woman two strides from the elevator. Beverly, Melissa, how are you? Well, she shook her head, I'm fine. But that poor boy back there... Oh, the Callaway boy! That is a tragic situation. 
More but two, if you ask me. Page wants to turn. Sorry. <laughs> Melissa frowned. Morbid? What do you mean? Well, Beverly glanced around quickly and then drew Melissa closer. See, the police were in here the other day. The police? Shh! Beverly looked around again. Yeah, the police. Because the house was also the parents' business. You know, the funeral home. Oh, right. Melissa hadn't made that connection until now. Callaway Funeral Parlor. Glenn Callaway. Two plus two is four. <laughs> well, when the... <laughs> Well, when the building burned down, Beverly continued, the police went there and found about ten bodies, I guess. Melissa's eyes widened. Ten? I don't understand. There's the parents and the brother. Who else? They're not sure. I still don't understand. How fucking stupid are you? Beverly said. Beverly looked up and down the hall once again, then leaned closer. They found the parents upstairs, but downstairs in the basement... Where they worked on all their funeral stuff? They found a whole bunch of dead bodies. Folks that were dead before the fire started. And they were all... Beverly made a face. (sighs) Anyway, they're having trouble identifying them all, they are. On account of it seems, maybe the funeral parlor was doing some illegal business. Business with folks on the other side of the border. Oh, Lord. Melissa called again. Not those goddamn Mexicans. Oh, I just wish they'd fucking learn English already. Exactly. So they can't even make positive IDs. Oh my, what a mess. That's what I mean. Morbid it is. Well, still, my heart goes out to that poor boy. To lose your whole family just like that, your parents and your brother. Melissa's voice trailed off as all at once she thought of something. Wait a minute. You said the parents were upstairs and the clients were downstairs. But what about the brother? Seems like he was down in the basement too, it did. What on earth for? I got no idea. Because one of the bodies they found was a boy. But there ain't a lot left to... Well, you know, be certain who. They're talking about sending the remains to Austin for a definite RD. But that's going to cost some money too. And the council might not go for it. Melissa nodded a final pained thank you for the information. And made her way to the parking lot. Though she had another appointment scheduled for later in the day. She decided she was going to cancel it. Right now, family seemed a little more important. She wanted to go home and hug her daughter. And after that, she wanted to start work on Glenn Calloway, making him her bitch, and perhaps finding him a place in this world. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes Chapter 2 of Reading Canebow. It looks like things might start to be looking the other way for young Glenn. And was that young boy found burned to a crisp in the funeral parlor actually Mark Calloway? Will the Marfa Texas City Council pay for the information to find out? It seems like legally they should have to. But after all, this is the 70s. And if you had long sideburns and a huge hairy cock, you could do whatever you want. Or so, I'm told. Thanks for joining us for this chapter here on Reading Canebow. Make sure you subscribe to the Aqua Cave so you get notified when new chapters drop or any other content. I'm Johnny C, and a burn victim is you. And I'll play.